Hello and welcome to the Buy One Eight podcast with Alex and Owen. I'm Alex Pearson Jones. And I'm Owen Hubbard. This show is about powerlifters, but not just about powerlifting. Each week we discuss the, uh, the experience of lifters as it relates to sport and their lives as a whole. Sometimes these thoughts confirm our biases, and sometimes they do not. If you like this episode, please consider hitting subscribe and leaving a comment to let us know what you want to hear more of in the future. Today we have Amelia Potter, uh, sports psych, on the show, aka Potts Thinks on Instagram. Um, we're going to touch on sports psych and talk about how it could probably help you in your lifting endeavors. So my question to start with would be like, what do you do? What value do you bring? And so I suppose like how that is quite a relatively new and emerging thing in powerlifting uh, versus probably I would argue either 18 months ago, like for the mass powerlifter. Yeah. I think like not even just in powerlifting, I think in general it's a super new science um, or kind of practice. And, you know, it influences athletic performance, motivation, um, physical activity and so on. Um, and there's kind of, I guess, a big four or five um, issues, let's say, that people come forward with um, initially when they want to start sports psych um, that they think is, you know, what they need. Uh, before they kind of unravel um, other topics and areas that they, uh, you know, figure out that they that are beneficial for them. So things like confidence um, directly to powerlifting, confidence under the bar or um, in competition, coping with failure, with emotional control, with pressures, um, intentional focus and um, just, you know, concentrating on correct things whether that's kind of goals or in the moment um motivation and then you know things like flow and getting in the zone I guess is like a good quick summation of a few things that are directly beneficial from working with your own sports psychology and do so from like my perspective of I think I've been quite lucky in powerlifting to uh be relatively hardy as in like generally find my own journey and my own flow quite organically um but do you feel like because uh, especially from even i mean, just think back to sort of uh I'll, g- I'll give you an example of like uh when i was in south africa and uh i was uh, i finished my bench and then i go into deadlift and like uh, i had full body cramp i know that's a bit more of a physical thing but I'm lying on the floor and I'm in a full body cramp and Mark, who's who's the coach, uh, is looking at me going, I can't, I, I can't quite get Mark's accent right, so I'm not going to do it. But like, he's looking at me going, get, get, get the fuck up, get up, what are you doing? <laughs> and like, basically shouting at me, like, don't be a pussy. And like, for myself as a person, I, I suppose, probably respond quite well to that. But I think there's definitely an area in like sports psych now where it's an area where like I feel as a coach, it's not 90% of coaches remits on like how to get that person. There might be like 50 to 60% of people you can give them some mechanisms that might help them. But then there might be, and I would probably argue quite a vast amount of people that like it falls out of the coach's remit and falls into someone like you. And I suppose, is that where you 
see the people or is it more people who genuinely think like oh i can get as much value out of uh, someone like yourself uh, and it's like someone taking on a nutritionist or taking on a like where do you see the field going i suppose right now i mean i think there's kind of different routes that it can take so some people for example you said nutritionist some people go to nutritionist when they kind of come to a wall or come to a problem or you know they have an ed um or they need to cut for a comp so they go with a specific uh, issue or kind of goal in mind which i see a lot also where people come to me and kind of say hey this is what i want to do i want to work on x y and z um and then there's kind of like the other side of things which is the people who just want to be able to work on every aspect of their performance so people who have nutritionists um because they just want that part optimized and controlled i suppose um in a healthy manner and i get a lot of people come to me in that kind of way who don't have direct ideas of what they want to work on they just kind of say hey this is my training and this is where i'm competing all these are my goals um like where do you think i can improve and what do you think could benefit me so i suppose you know there are two sides of it but in things like coaching as well like that example you gave it's very much subjective because i know a lot of people kind of say you know, telling telling your athlete to get up and stop being a pussy is not so supportive and con- uh, is kind of counterproductive. But the thing is, like you said, that was something that worked on you specifically. There might be another athlete, like, let's say myself, if someone shouted that, I might just cry. Um, and, you know, I, it's, it's knowing, just like in coaching uh, and, you know, nutrition and psych, it's knowing your athlete, knowing them as a person, how they respond to... Um, different techniques etc nice and so out of those like sort of those techniques that sort of stuff that you you see like i'm quite interested and do you like i'm seeing a lot of parallels with what you're saying i know it's it's not really a shock but like there's a lot of parallels where you're saying with like people who i have as like nutrition clients or uh, people who start off through powerlifting where essentially you're you're facilitating their journey you're not telling them what to do um and i suppose is there anything that you think that people come to you with a i want to say misconception but like a preconception maybe of what you do versus what the actual outcome is or are you finding that powerlifters are relatively quite uh, open book um, I've actually not had so much of an issue with people kind of coming forward with misconceptions. I think the one thing that is something I like to set um, set really early is kind of boundaries of my professional remit that, like, I'm not a therapist. Um, and <laughs> um, as much as, you know, Samuel might think I am. Um, <laughs> but, like, I'm... Like, if they come to me with something um related to kind of eating disorders or some like mental illness that you know isn't directly related to training I need to kind of specify to them that I can signpost and and things like that but I'm not you know I'm not a nutritionist I'm not an ED specialist I'm not a therapist um so you know it's 
it's kind of creating that line of you can speak to me about these things, but I can't give a professional response. Not not like I'm going to give an unprofessional <laughs> response. Um, like fuck off. But it's like <laughs> I can't give my professional professional opinion on something that is outside my remit. So in terms of that, I kind of just set that boundary early doors and I've only really encountered it a couple of times when people share things that I can't really advise on and I've just kind of signposted them out, whether it's to do with kind of eating disorders or something more, um, I don't know, mental health oriented, um, I suppose. But in terms of, you know, them coming with a preconceived idea, I think I try and make, like I try and do a really good job beforehand of saying this is exactly, you know, what you're going to get from this experience. Um, yeah. Do you feel like <clears throat> the impact of what you do is underestimated by the general population or overestimated? I think, I think mainly probably underestimated. There are probably a few people that would approach me and think that I can just, you know, fix them um and it's not that like it is a process of you know how much work they put in how much work I put in but in general I just think the big the big thing that makes it like um not underappreciated um but just people just don't value it quite as much as like other professions I suppose um it's because they think it's one of those things that's just for elite athletes um and I think that stops a lot of people coming forward with, with you know, approaching someone like me because they, you know, they don't think that they're, you know, quote, good enough to qualify to have a sports psych. But it's just a case of, you know, like you'd have a nutritionist or a coach is taking part, um, taking care of that part of your training. And it's just really how much you care about it. And I think... A big thing with powerlifters especially is because it is a growing sport. It's not as recognised as something as like golf or tennis or another individual sport. Um, is that there's kind of that line of, well, where is the point where you can start considering yourself competitive, I guess. Um, whereas like in, you know, golf or tennis or whatever, like as soon as you want to, decide to start taking it seriously you can like get to some sort of club or, or whatever if that makes sense um but yeah i i think the big thing is that people just kind of not don't think they deserve it but don't think it's for them because they don't think that they're you know high enough on the like elite chart um and you know that's not the case at all because if you care about your training you care about your training like Point back, point I think back period. one thing that I've kind of noticed throughout this is like we, we kind of mentioned that sports psych in strength sports at least and, and generally is like quite young um, like even probably younger than like powerlifting as a sport even though we often speak about powerlifting being a relatively or strength sports generally being a relatively young sport in terms of where it is on its spectrum to becoming professional um, and you know, I think there were a lot of sentiments that you just mentioned, Amelia, that are probably echoed within like powerlifting coaching a few years ago. You know, like in 2015, if you were going to have like a powerlifting coach that wasn't like just kind of like a club coach, you know, maybe you're working with someone online or, 
you know, you were you're hiring a professional coach outside of maybe the one that was local to you or the one that was at your uni or like your mate who wrote your program for you. That was, you know, kind of considered something that only like those higher end performers were doing probably seven or eight years ago. Um, and I just think it's really, really interesting to to kind of almost see history repeating itself with this whole thing, you know, like and the moment with the sports psych stuff, a lot of. A lot of higher level performers are starting to look at it and kind of realize that that's another layer and level that they can add to their game and kind of round out themselves as an athlete. And now it's starting to happen kind of like full circle, right? Like in professional sports teams, like if you look at the NFL or if you look at professional rugby, professional football, these 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 teams or these institutions have got entire teams of people around them, right? And I don't think it's going to be long until strength sports start to see the same. You know, so a high-level strength athlete is likely to have somebody that's looking after their nutrition, somebody that's looking after their programming and training, somebody that's you know helping them with their their sports psych, um, maybe a physio or a massage therapist or whatever. Um, is that kind of the way that you see it going, and have you seen it change a lot, kind of since you've been in the industry? Yeah, I mean, like that all sounds super familiar from my experiences as well, kind of. It was like a conversation I was having with Samuel the other day is that kind of part of being a sports like with powerlifters is half the job is convincing them why they why that sports like is, you know, a good thing for them and then continuing to give them good, you know, advice and techniques and sports like um, and then, you know, that's only really like a really small part of the journey because obviously working with them is a huge part of it, but convincing people because it's so new that it is something that's needed um and neglected is probably like 60 percent of what i do half of the time um and there's there's like a big mix up of percentages there but i do it a lot um and yeah absolutely like i've been kind of full-heartedly doing this for maybe like a, a year or so now and i really internationally don't know any other people who are in sports psychology that are in um powerlifting uh, or at least in powerlifting fully i know or like strength sports i know actually the only other person that i know who does work with some powerlifting athletes was actually my second year housemate at uni which is just like the weirdest coincidence ever because it just ended up like i was like hey i lived with you um um, and I also didn't do sports psychology at the time, so it makes it even weirder. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of, it, it just it, in that one year, it seemed to have picked up so much. Um, and I do think a lot of that is, you know, advertising the importance of it. Um, just like I'm sure, like 2015, like you said, it was a case of advertising as a coach why people need a coach rather than following like a free online program or just doing a bit of research like it is beneficial to kind of do your own research and it's always going to help but it's always going to be more beneficial to have something subjective to you and have something tailored kind of to your experience as an athlete I think I think as a powerlifter sometimes it's difficult to uh like you were saying that first barrier for the fact that everything is so quantifiable in powerlifting you know like you, you have weights you have progression through that your, your nutrition like you hit your macros you see your body composition you have your body fat percentage like it's quite data driven as a sport and then when you have something that is 
a little bit less it's quite a bit more subjective until you see the outcome and you know it's like you yeah. don't <clears throat> see the reward until you take the plunge you know it's like it's a little bit a little bit more difficult to um i suppose take that that uh that leap but i i 100% agree with that i think um page like a couple of uh podcasts ago we're talking about this with uh nutrition where you know like it's probably one area that if we focused on it a lot more we'd see the benefit more and it's the same sort of thing where i think that it, i i i would definitely see a huge benefit in it especially for a lot of people who you know i you see uh page must experience this from a coaching perspective you see a lot of people when they're in the infancy of powerlifting you know like competition nerves or just absolutely petrified of uh get, getting on the platform you know like and uh, even if even people like that i feel like if you make the jump onto the platform earlier and you have the ability to control those uh whether you want to call them nerves or that anxiety i think that would make you a better lifter and i totally agree with you it's how much you value the sport i uh, and i think that we should put more value on things that we can do to improve the sport especially when realistically powerlifting isn't an expensive sport like for equipment and you know for you know i think that's probably one of the other barriers i don't know if you'd agree with that where golf you can spend a grand on a driver and what even blink an eyelid in powerlifting you spend 200 quid in a belt and you expect it to last you 45 years you know <laughs> um would you see that as a barrier for someone like yourself or is that something that i'm just taking for granted what the fact that it's it's not a yeah and like, i see that like not i think it's changing uh in powerlifting but you know when uh, i first started powerlifting it was like more than 50 quid for a 12-week program, not a chance, mate. <laughs> and now that's, you know, that is like, it, when people understand the value of it, I feel like, and I, yeah. I'd be interested to know if that is an experience you've had in powerlifting versus other sports, or is it not, is it a little bit more blurred? I think kind of, you know, it kind of comes together in when a sport is more, I suppose, gets more publicity and is recognised higher, it almost, its value goes up kind of numerically. So people are almost more willing to sink more money into it if they think, if it's like there's more media coverage or it's just acknowledged more. Um, and I think, you know, like obviously you see football on every um on every sport channel, like, every day. And, you know, like you said, people would spend a couple hundred quid on boots and footballs and uh, shin pads, etc. There's actually not that much in football. It was a really bad example. But, but, but I mean, even then, like, <laughs> guys are paying 10, but, 20 pounds a week just to train and play games. You know, they're, they're hiring a field for three hours yeah. and they're chipping in, like, 200-plus quid once they've paid the referee and they've done all that stuff at, like, the kind of amateur level, which is a lot more than you would expect even across an entire year of powerlifting, realistically. 
Yeah, and in things like football, like somebody could play a Sunday league and call themselves a footballer, whereas somebody could compete in you know three or four powerlifting meets and still be hesitant to call themselves an athlete. And that's something I experienced recently because somebody came up to me um, to ask a couple questions for their friend and was like, "Oh, do you only work with athletes?" And I was like, "I was like, what do you mean? I'm a I'm a sports psych." I was like, I don't, I don't work with librarians. Um, and I was like, what do you mean by athletes? And he was just like, you know, like high level uh, com- competitors. And I was like, well, you know, that, that's just, you know, a bad definition of athlete. Like I think an athlete is someone who commits himself to training in a sport and, you know, and works forward in that and puts effort into it. Whereas a lot of people I think still view as an athlete, an athlete as someone who, is competing at a, a super high level rather than just committing and training. And I think, you know, that definition in itself is the key barrier is people don't identify themselves as an athlete just because they're not top 10 in the world. It's, it's super interesting that you mentioned that because Samuel and I yesterday spoke about uh, one of Samuel's pet peeves in powerlifting and about people's hesitancy sometimes to admit how much they want something as a result or you know as a consequence they're worried that it will make them vulnerable um and do you kind of see that as a bit of a barrier like people are almost afraid to invest in themselves because they're then kind of properly committed yeah and i think that comes back to what owen was saying earlier about how a lot of the goals in powerlifting are numerical based and very data driven um and you know, it's like as soon as you base your value on something numerical and it's even if it's in reach or if it's out of reach, it is something that's so one dimensional that it's really easy to get emotionally attached and disappointed by it. So it's understandable that people kind of hide um, or it's understandable how common it is that people hide how much it means to them because a lot of people are going to have these unrealistic expectations for themselves. And because, you know, and that's just like people who have that kind of competitive nature will have that. But because it's so based around numbers and, you know, data-driven goals, it creates this, like, weird feeling of, like, shame around, like, oh, well, I can't tell people I want that number because if I don't get that number, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, as soon as you kind of look at your psych and your nutrition and things like that. Um, the reason I keep preparing it with nutrition is because, like, I do just want it to start becoming part of the conversation of, like, the triad of what you need. Um, but, like, as soon as someone starts kind of adding other goals in that, you know, are performance-based or outcome-based and it's kind of, oh, well, I want to work on my depth and my squat or I want to really hit my RPs this week or I want to work on my focus and my confidence as soon as you start layering in different types of goals you're creating kind of like uh, more depth and intent and eventually more motivation towards your own training so I've gone on a huge tangent there but it kind of like all links to each other like people are gonna have this inherent like like not shame but kind of want to hide how much it means to them because then if they fail it's almost like everyone else knows exactly what they already wanted. Um, but they've pinned it so much on just a number that, you know, if you don't hit that number, you're setting yourself up for failure because 
you know, the next goal is just going to be another number and it's just going to keep getting higher and it's just keep getting harder. Whereas if there are, like I said, all these different kinds of goals laid in there, it, it makes the whole process a lot more satisfying and fulfilling as an athlete, I think. I'm just trying to think of a perspective as a coach. You know, there's certain people that I coach who I know for a fact, like, I just have to be right, you got to do this now, this now, and it be very, like, linear with their timeline of, like, we're doing this at this time, doing this now, do this now, and they, they understand the process of what's going on. There's other people who I know, like, I just have to hype them up, and that is my job. Like, I just I just know that the, the best thing i got to do for them is just hype them up, and then whatever they tell me, that's my job for them is to just do what they say rather than the other way around. And I suppose yeah. like it's the, the difficult part is as a, uh, this is where you would come in as a, as a sports psych of like the difficult part is to understand where you fall on that spectrum and where like, what is something for you that might be uh, a positive or negative trigger. Like um, I remember chatting to Matt Gary, uh, Matt Gary, uh, uh, American coach very well known like Matt's thing is when he he brings his lifter in um like to the day the first thing he'll do would be like oh this is your warm-up room this is where you're warming up and then he'll like take them onto the platform and be like you know this is where you're standing this is where you're looking out this is where the referees will be and I think stuff like that is as a as a new lifter I think is probably quite an important thing um but I'd be interested to see your thoughts on, I suppose, how you identify where on that spectrum you fall, because not everyone is going to be the same, you know? And what are the, are there certain triggers that you would look out for as a sports psych? Are there certain things that uh, they would be saying to you that you see is, oh, maybe this is detrimental or this is positive or, uh, you know, that's, that's your job, not mine. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like it is a fine line between, uh, like you said, like where the coach's job finishes and the sports psych starts. Um, and I think even sometimes it's a case of that I'll work with a coach on their approach to an athlete rather than the athlete directly. Because, um, you know, it's going to be the coach that handles them on on comp day so it's important for the coach to kind of understand how that athlete's going to react um and how they need to be treated like you said like some people need a slap on the back and hyping up and other people just you know need their own space um and it's kind of the job of the coach and the athlete to you know recognize that for the day and I think where I come in is and I've said this before I don't really like working with athletes um so close like starting working with athletes so close to competition um so if an athlete came up to me and was like hey I've got a comp this weekend can we work together I'd be like not not this week <laughs> like it's it's one of those things that I just think that anything that I will say before then will be detrimental because they'll just be hyper focused on trying to achieve something that they're not used to practicing um so I think my role on this kind of spectrum comes in a long time before the comp day where we have time to work on techniques and interventions and figure out 
how they'll react on the day and how we can kind of counter that um, in a positive way. Um, how they are feeling in prep and in their training and kind of create an affective training where um, the so of, uh, every so often the training day can at least represent the competition day uh, somewhat. So whether that's like, and I know a lot of powerlifters do, where they're singlet, have SBD days um, programmed in, eat like you would. Um, so essentially like kind of having a mock meet every so often. Not so much for the benefit of figuring out your numbers, but more for the kind of the psyche behind it of getting used to the environment you're going to be in, getting used to the arousal state, the mental state, emotional state you're going to be in. Because, I mean, some people have really physical and somatic reactions to to being nervous, like whether it's, you know, a funny tummy or hyperdrive sweating or, or you know, something. Um and, you know, if it, if it is something like, oh, I, I throw up tons when I'm nervous, then it's like, okay, well, let's get you some dry food, I don't know. Um, <laughs> just get a change of singlet. I don't know, but it's just having stuff that, you know, I guess a big part of it is preparing them um, for the day. Whereas, like, uh, leading up to it, a coach will very much be working on the, okay, let's get your you know body and physical lifts ready so you can exceed on the competition day and a nutritionist uh, would be like okay well let's get you to your body weight and make sure you're eating optimally and then I'll be kind of I suppose more or less everything else so how you're feeling about it how you're focusing on it um how you're reacting to the performance and then like it goes all the way up to kind of comparison to other lifters where I think is especially during the pandemic got a lot worse for everyone because you know other than Samuel everyone's an Instagram post in their lifts that's that's super interesting though because like everything you just said like everything I I just said to you was as a coach I'm being reactive not proactive and you're literally just you've just flipped it saying well your role is to be more proactive rather than like get everything prepared beforehand so you're so used to the competition day that there isn't those anxieties aren't there or whatever you know um and like samuel said like do you think that is an area that people don't focus on like as in like we just turn up on comp day and expect everything to be fine because I would probably admit that, uh, like, as as a coach, I probably don't. I probably wouldn't know how someone reacts on comp day if I've never handled them before. Yeah, I might be able to ask them, like, but I, I'd be asking them certainly a week before, not ten weeks before. You know. Yeah. Um. So, do you think is that something that you see is common? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, like, it's it's a, I don't know, it's a case of kind of that being the coach's role and vice versa, my role to be uh, there in advance. Like, I, I, nine times out of ten, won't be there for an athlete's competition. So I think a big role is, now that actually competitions are back over, is it's almost a handover to the coach. So it's worth 
kind of having that conversation, whether the, with the athlete to talk to the coach, with a, just to the coach, whether with the athlete and the coach is to have that handover of like, this is how they're going to be um, and et cetera. But also it, it goes for the external things like we've been talking about. So kind of nerves and, you know, how they feel on the day to working on how they are focusing and how confident they feel in the actual lift. So there are really little things like most people train all their top sets and all their, um, like all of their training with their headphones on and the music. And it won't be until comp day that they kind of, like oh yeah okay you know I've got music on the platform and I think a lot of people don't realize how much or at least for some people that that makes a huge difference that they're training with this kind of mega focus because they can block everything out and then they get to the platform and there's you know lights there's judges there's people there's sounds that they just they just weren't prepared for because they've had this music in the whole time um and it's just kind of it goes from like big things like nerves to little preparation, uh, preparation things like that. I suppose. So if you were, I'm gonna put you on the spot. No, like if if you were to say like the top things that off the bat people could do to prepare themselves for whether it's competition or a training session. Um, I am a powerlifter, but I know very little about. Uh, anything like what would be a nice place for me to start like in nutrition you know it's like get your carbs get your protein you know that'll do for now drink some water is there an equivalent in sports psych (laughs) um objectively i'd say kind of having an idea of where your focus is um and trying to hone that in would be one um creating as much internal motivation um as you can so rather than external which would be like incentives like oh if i lift this i'll get a nando's or something um or so like things like have like mini goals for each session so i want my bar path to be good today or i want to hit all my accessories perfectly etc um to you know drive that internal motivations forwards um and then you know like this is just based on kind of the like the top few things that people come to me with initially um and that usually does kind of lie around during the pandemic it was very motivational based but focus confidence and then arousal control was a huge one um so like getting the nerves and not trying to get rid of them. So I never like say, oh, like you're you you're anxious towards this lift. Let's you know get rid of that because the anxiety is a good thing, but not if it's you know embodied physically and mentally in a negative way. So I suppose the number one thing would be you know finding a good way for emotional and arousal control to use your anxiety uh, in a positive way. So. There are different methods you could do for this. So like centering, um, box breathing, and that's just to regulate um, your arousal. And then there are other things you could do further to control it. When you say centering, what is? What do you mean? Yeah, that was... <laughs> um, so centering is essentially, um, it's kind of a mix between a technique and a breathing technique. So 
I really like using this powerlifters because uh, because of bracing is something that powerlifters are used to doing and it somewhat bleeds nicely into that. And it's essentially um, kind of, it, it's a, I, every time, this is a really bad example because every time I describe this to a client, I say before, I'm like, okay, this is gonna sound super spiritual and it's not like it's a scientific method. But the description sounds really spiritual. So like now it's going to sound like a bunch of mumbo jumbo, but I've dug myself into that. So essentially it's kind of focusing on your breath um, to a point where, and it's not to try and like change the speed of your breath, but naturally that will regulate it. Um, and by doing that, you kind of just, however you want to do, whether it's box breathing or just general normal breathing, like humans do. Um, and then, <laughs> and then it's, you know, controlling that um, and like really honing in on it. And then finding your center of mass, which is, I believe, two fingers above your belly button. Um, so like a similar place where you're, <laughs> where you're used to kind of bracing in and directing your, I guess, energy, anxiety, arousal towards that area, um, which, like I said, sounds super spiritual, and it's not. It's just kind of a really similar thing to bracing, but you're kind of pushing your anxiety and your, I guess, the physical uh, reaction to anxiety there. So they're becoming of use, so you can put them directly into bracing, but, like, again, without bracing, it is still really useful because it is your centre of mass, and it just... You know when you're like you're anxious and you're nervous, you feel that like full body energy, and it's just like it's just everywhere. It kind of hones it in to one area, so like it can be utilized. And it sounds like until you try it, it sounds like okay, I want what she's on. But it's like it is a scientific technique, and it is a really really good one for arousal control uh, or regulation. And usually my go to. For at least you know starting someone off with it before I layer so up. It sounds in. like it's uh, like a, a form of like compartmentalization to a degree as well, right? Like you're kind of allowing yourself to be made aware of this thing, and then you're kind of channeling it, as it were. Yeah, I mean it's it's like I I put a big emphasis on like not kind of putting it in a box and ignoring it, but it is kind of separating it and using it instead i suppose so yeah i think it is kind of like a physical compartmentalization oh and are you doing it um for sure are you doing that yeah uh, yeah how does yeah. it feel uh, it's nice <laughs> i think i think like that sort of thing uh that is something that i would probably say i do in training uh unintentionally like for me, yeah. when I'm trying to focus onto a top set, the things that I would definitely use, uh, I use this for deadlifts more than anything because I'm naturally shit at them. So like I need that a little bit more focus, but like definitely for me, that's, I put my headphones in and I just close my eyes, sit there and just focus on my breathing. And I think that's naturally something I do because it, like, like you said, it's really hard to say it without sounding like it, it It brings me to like in one with the bar, you know, like it pushes me into that, yeah. that thing of like the only thing that matters for the next 25 seconds is the, what I'm doing and how I'm executing it. And I think using that 
and having the ability to turn that on and off at will is probably uh, a very useful thing that again I probably I probably take for granted in my own lifting um, that I have the ability to do that where I know a lot of people struggle with that and you know you see people when they've got a big set like they're thinking about that set for the whole training session and I would argue sometimes that's probably yeah. a not a not the best way to to focus on something and having the ability to be- become focused like that for the time you need it to is going to probably make the rest of the section a hell of a lot more productive yeah and I think like that's kind of another sort of thing that sports psychology is really good for is obviously there's kind of the overall themes I guess which are kind of like the things we've been discussing but then there are things like this and then the kind of internal monologue um that people have when they're lifting so some people like you said like like you are really able to be able to just kind of be like okay I'm lifting now I'm getting in the zone etc but especially when people are experiencing kind of anxiety or nerves around a lift they often have a kind of a super loud mind and whether that's you know full of doubts or full of kind of like false confidence so almost like okay well I've got to do this and then this etc etc and it just ends up being very loud and unproductive um almost almost counterintuitive so like it's working on things I guess like that that you know athletes like yourself have kind of figured out for themselves um is a really really good starting point I suppose it's just to you know quiet down everything but your training if that makes sense what is the ultimate sort of goal of working with a sports site like um how let's say like I was working with you uh how would we know when we got to a point where I possibly like no longer needed you know your your counseling right uh, would we ever get to that point or is it just a ongoing process yeah i mean like the attrition rate for psychs is always going to be higher for like higher than it is with coaches because you know there's there are some athletes that like working continuously and that's just kind of on the back burner sometimes when they get to a certain point and then around competitions, they have more specific things again. But with a lot of kind of general population um, athletes that I work with, it's very much a case of, you know, getting the most out of it and until they feel like they're confident and happy moving forward with their training and, you know, they're happy taking what we've worked on together into their own hands. I mean, and that's not a negative thing for me at all. If someone feels like they're competent and confident enough to go forwards um, with what we've spoken about and with kind of the techniques I've given them, then that's kind of a win for me anyway. Um, it's just being able to, you know, give them that knowledge and those tools um, to kind of move on. I sound like a cheesy teacher, like to move on and work with it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's one thing that also always kind of struck me as um, like a bit backwards in any kind of service role in in the strength sport game is like I feel as if the the further away from competition and the like the further out you are from a competition, 
the more potential effect any kind of coaching has the ability to take and shape. You know, like that's not to say like I wouldn't want an athlete to compete because of course they're they're here to compete and try and get stronger and whatever, right? If they're working with me as a powerlifting client, but like if somebody turns up and they're like, right, I've got a competition in 12 weeks, like we don't really have much time to try things out and to, you know, to like work out different things about the athlete and put things into practice or maybe like inherently as a coach, you're going to make a few or you're going to try things that maybe aren't as effective as other things could be, right? And I think that's one thing that's always a bit bizarre is to me, the the development of an athlete's psyche is like uh, it's an ongoing process and it's a long long term thing so like you know if if I was going to look at working with a sports like I feel as if I would want to work with them for a long time because presumably what's going to happen is it's going to be much like powerlifting is you know you might have a, a sticking point or a threshold in which you can get to and you know you either like you can't lift above a certain weight right you find a max or whatever that happens to be um and then we string a couple of good training blocks together and we have this new like higher threshold right and we have a, a new pb and maybe we max out by 10 kilos or you know something and then there's this new threshold and there are new obstacles and things to overcome and presumably something like that is similar in um sports psych like it's not just you've got this one problem we've quote unquote fixed this one problem and now you know you're fine forever like there's always going to be these new thresholds that develop some new things that come up as as an athlete's advancement increases. Do you find that that's like similar for what you do? Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah. And I think, you know, we're in a place as well, kind of as a, um, as a culture, I guess. And that we, a lot of people expect kind of like fast fixes um, and I think, you know, both with kind of coaching, um, psych, nutrition, people don't really take into account that when we speak to them for the first time, we're not going to instantly know what's best for them. We're going to work with them, you know, based on our knowledge and then change it as we get to know them further. And we're not going to be able to do that in three or four weeks. Um, so yeah, absolutely. The longer we're with them, it, the easier it does get, um, because, you know, knowing your athletes as any of those professions is really, um, is really important. And it's, you know, a case of, I don't know, I, I like to say my, my style of, I never know what to call it, it's not coaching, but my style of work with my athletes is non-invasive because the way I like to do it is setting good foundation techniques and working with them that I know is going to have, a good success rate because it's pretty basic to begin with for the first couple of weeks and then as I get to know them based on their feedback as an athlete build on that in layers rather than kind of chucking at you know cookie cutter ideas at them that you know it won't work for them so it's kind of an in integrative thing where it's going to organically start fitting into their their kind of life and training and build together as I know them as an athlete and they know me as a psych and we can kind of build that relationship so it definitely is like does gain more value the longer you're with you know a coach with a psych because I can really start tailoring things to their experience um and you know there there are some fast fixes but that's never going to be as effective like there are things that and inf of information that you can just chuck out um and as I'm sure like coaches can as well just cues and tips 
Um, but it's never going to be the same as having a relationship with a professional. Uh, you, like you said, there, there are no quick fixes, right? There are just like patches, just like little bits of advice that could be useful. What's someone, what, what is one thing that someone who's listening to this could do, could start doing today, right? Could start practicing today uh, that could probably benefit them uh, at their next competition. Assuming that competition is not tomorrow. Yeah. This weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think just learning about yourself as a lifter. I know that sounds super cheesy, but I think a lot of people just go, to, go into training either with or without their program, depending, um, mm. and do it. Uh, and I think learning how you feel and think around the lifts and... Even just kind of understanding that and making a note of that, you can kind of start to analyze and understand your own psyche and yourself as an athlete. So even without working on a, working with a psych, if you just start to understand how you react to nerves, how you think around your lifts, how you feel around your confidence, like just all of that stuff and learning about yourself more as an athlete and in training could be super beneficial because then, you know, if, if you notice that, Oh, actually, the thing I, fo- I I struggle with the most is being able to uh, focus throughout my top lifts. And I just, you know, my mind goes like, you know that, well, at least I can look for some information, information based around that. Or if it's confidence, I can look for some, you know, confidence techniques. It's just getting a good understanding, I suppose, um, would be the best thing to do first, I think. You also mentioned like not taking top while well, taking top sets in conditions that you're likely to in competition, right? So like maybe not listening with headphones in throughout your top sets might be a good Yeah, so actually this is um this is something that I work on at the moment and and I'm sure that she won't mind me saying is that Natalie um is super public about kind of us working together. Um and she and like she's preparing for a comp and that's something kind of we've been working on and that's um you know something that we've found is the best or at least for for her is that um not using headphones on the penultimate set so that not the top so still using them on the top set but using not using the penultimate set so you can kind of adjust your brain and physicalities to not listening to music on a heavy set but still being able to optimize your training so that your top set is still you know mega focus and you can just get the actual weight done um but still having that integration of um like reality almost on a weight that's you know the second closest to that i think it's a good way to go about it yeah so you're kind of coming you're becoming somewhat used to it without it being... Detrimental like, to your training. Yeah. So you're still able to kind of get the benefits of listening to music, but when comp day comes around and you don't have it, it's yeah. a so, possibility yeah. kind of thing. <clears throat> Owen, have you ever had like a like a problem with that contrast? Because whenever you train, or at least whenever I've seen you train, which is a decent amount, you're always uh, AirPods in, singing along, grinding your head against the bar kind of guy. Um... 
And, but you also obviously compete at a high level and often at worlds where like there's no music playing whatsoever. Uh, has that ever like has that ever jarred with you? The contrast between the two? Uh, no, not for me. I think mainly for the fact that like I actually I get the buzz of the the buzz I get from music during training is like almost comparable to the buzz I get at a competition. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's the environment of the competition that is creating that, like, extra hype rather than uh, the competition being, like, a detrimental thing. And so I've never really experienced that. I do sometimes, uh, exactly the way Natalie is doing with with you, Amelia, like, I'll take my last warm-up as maybe without headphones sometimes, but more for the reason of it helps me be a little bit more focused on like how ready I actually am for what the top set could be. And it makes me pick my top set a little bit better because I, you know, if I went full send on my last warm up, like I, I would be going, I put 40 kilos on it, but I know that I'd have to then try and somehow get another level of hype from that from what was already 100%. So I like whether it's not listening to music or not listening to particular songs, like I have certain songs that I have for like my top, top sets that only come out every once in a while um, because I know that it creates the best performance, but I don't want to overuse it. But in terms of uh, competition, like I, I definitely get a performance enhancement. The, higher and harder the competition is um so i suppose it's uh it's not really an issue for me personally anyway yeah you are you're quite a seasoned vet too i think that's one thing that like for anyone listening owen's done a whole lot of competing for a whole lot of years now um so the likelihood of listening to owen and thinking oh i'm gonna be the same as owen hubbard but i i will i will also (laughs) say though that like i Um, find it very difficult to like if I go to a divisional and I compete at a divisional, I find it very hard to perform at a hundred percent at a divisional because there is no pressure on that event. There's like literally like if I got three for nine, it doesn't make like in my head it doesn't make a difference as much uh, because it's not and there's no pressure situation for me to be like I've got to get this because if I don't get it I'm gonna fall behind and then I'm not gonna be able to place X where my expectations are or whatever. So uh, there are definitely things that limit uh, my um, my performance. But fortunately for me, those areas aren't like, for me, where I, I hold my value. Like the value to me is British and above. So not being able to compete very well at a divisional isn't really like high up on the list of things that I want to do. Amelia, how can Owen get hyped to how do I get better at divisional world record total at a divisional comp? Well, um, I think you know it's it's going to be one of those things that it's creating you know the same motivational buzz you have for you know British etc. that you like at a divisional, and that's not necessarily going to be based around the result, but it'll be, you know, a different performance or um, um, outcome kind of 
goal, I think. And I I guess it's, it is going to be a hype, arousal um, and things like that. But like Pete said, you're, you're a pretty seasoned vet. You seem to be kind of ticking all the boxes in your own, in your own training. That's fair. I think it's one of these things as well, right, that, like, just, just knowing, like, uh, having heard Owen speak through his stuff and, like, even even just comparing, you know, Owen and I don't lift at the same level, but um, comparing, like, Owen's experience and where he thrives compared to, like, where I've had better, like, competition performances in the past. Like, I have performed better, generally speaking, when there has been, like, very, very little pressure and I just haven't really thought about anything other than myself on the day. So, like... You know, my demeanour, and um, not to speak to for Bryce Lewis, but I know that Bryce Lewis has a very, very similar uh, demeanour to this, and that's kind of like, if he's ha- kind of ha- relaxed and having fun, he will perform better on the day. Whereas there are probably some people, more like yourself, Owen, who are very like, um, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not fucking around in the warm-up room and like, you know, having laughy-jokey conversations with, with people. You know, you're like much more kind of like tunnel visioned right and and you'll be like that a lot of the day and you'll have your headphones in and you're kind of in your own little space and I think that's one thing that like um inherently a lot of people's psyches are quite different and I think it's important to kind of note that you know people's experiences of these different things are going to be different and it's all going to be on a spectrum where you know I might be at one end in terms of like relaxed and having fun and like you know kind of trying to stop myself from going too far over the edge where if I really get in my own head and I start kind of winding myself up and getting too into the conversation, I'll almost um, over kind of stimulate my brain and overstimulate myself potentially um, and kind of go off the end of this like anxiety performance spectrum. Whereas you have probably learned over the years to like stay at this kind of peak arousal state and manage, be able to kind of manage your performance very, very well throughout that. And oftentimes the environment that you're in can also play into that. Would, would you think that's like a fair, I guess, Owen and Amelia? Yeah. Think that's a fair, definitely. like, and I definitely agree that like everyone is different. And I definitely like just from seeing people lift, uh, whether it's on an international or a divisional or whatever, you know, like everyone has their, their, I, I feel like, uh, I don't know if Amelia would agree with this, but like if, you have your reasonings on why you're doing it. You'll probably perform better. Like I was chatting to this with a, a client who's potentially, you know, has the potential to be top three, maybe win British. And they don't have the single drive. That is not a drive factor for them. Like their drive factor is they want to do this number, this, this way. This is what I want to do. And if I come first or if I come fifth, as long as I succeed on hitting these numbers, that is that is my goal for the British. It's not I want to come top three or I want to win. And so, you know, unsurprisingly, with that focus, their training is better than if it's focusing on, oh, come on, we got to, like, like you said, we got to beat this person. Like, it's it's not going to not going to work. And I think. Like, but there there'll probably be some people who, and there definitely are, that probably get motivation from seeing other people succeed. You know, they they're probably out there, um, and it's probably uh, I don't know if uh, this is where Amelia needs to chip in and be like, 
you've got to find out where you are on that scale. I think there's a line, like, uh, this is kind of related to the being motivated by other others pe other people bit, and I think there's a super thin line between that motivation being healthy and unhealthy. Um, and that's something, you know, like I said, that I've, I found a lot, especially in powerlifting, because it is an individual sport and there isn't really that team aspect to lean back on. Like, obviously, you can be part of, like, the GB team or whatever, but you're still performing by yourself. Um, and so you're directly going to compare yourself to, you know, somebody else in your class or even sometimes, you know, out of your class um, if you're really feeling like hating yourself that day. Um, but I think... You know, I think it is one of those things that it is. It can be super healthy to have that motivational and competitive boost by being like, oh, well, that person's hitting these numbers. Um, and so, you know, oh, that's driving me to want to hit them as well. And, you know, stalking their Instagram every night to see how their training's gone and being like, well, their training was better than my training today and becoming, you know, obsessive over it. So I think it's definitely... A thin line and a careful one to walk um, because a lot of people do kind of step over it sometimes and struggle to find their way back which is a really prevalent issue I feel like when I talk then like just no one ever replies like that person in the group chat where they reply to like a, something and then just everyone reads and ignores it get ghosted. yeah there's too many mic drops. It's because, it's because you, kind of, you answer. Like, yeah, we're, not, we're not used so to that like around it. here, man. Like, you, you thoroughly addressed the topic at hand, and then we're like... Now what? I can, I, can, I can answer it less if you want. I mean... It's funny. It's, it's really weird. This is unrelated to anything, so maybe this is, this is going to get a reply. Um, but... It was really weird, and I'm sure that, you know, you guys experienced this, like, Owen and Paige um, experienced that in their, own co in their own training. To my knowledge, Samuel, you're not, you're not a coach secretly, are you? No. Okay. I'm not, no. I, I didn't want to just, you know, ignore <laughs> you there. Um, but, like, in terms of my own, of my own training, um, like, I, I mean, I use, half of the time I use it to kind of, sample tech like psych techniques anyway um which you know i know that Pete has said in the past that if he finds a new exercise that he likes to look off like he'll give it a go um in training um but then the other half i it's kind of like that coaches don't play kind of thing like i really struggled to take my own advice on board so i'm really really good at well it's my job to giving this advice um and then as soon as i'm like i like do something wrong or I kind of lose my focus. I'm like, ah, oh, this is so frustrating. What do I do? And I'm like, I know exactly. I know exactly what to do. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. But, but my clients should, they definitely do should do it. it. It's just a big case of like objectivity. Right. And I think that's why a lot of, you know, the some of the better educated people in this space will often have coaches and whatever is it's not that I don't know how to write a program it's that I can't remain objective with myself when I'm writing a program or I'm you know deciding on something and the accountability yeah, so I'll gravitate towards things that I know I'm more comfortable with or I enjoy more 
which is often the things that I don't need as much. Um, whereas somebody objectively can write it down and we can discuss something and, you know, we can talk about it and I can have somebody to feed yeah. back and forward to. Um, I mean, Owen, you've probably had more self-coaching experience than I have. Um, my experience of self-coaching was, was pretty decent. Like I made pretty good progress and it was definitely the most appropriate thing for me at the time because of like kind of injury status and stuff. But I know that you've, you've probably spent, you know, quite a long time on and off being self-coached. Do you, do you struggle to kind of stay objective or to make sure that you're doing all the stuff that you like, make sure you do the things that you need to do? I mean, I, I guess, I guess yeah, it's, so it's, it's like catch 22. Like, <laughs> um, I would, def- I would say I'm relatively good at self coaching. Um, but for, for the fact that the, um, like I'm a little bit of probably uh, a sadist in the respect of like my self coaching is, like you said, you know, let's see how far I can push the limits of what I can do. Uh, where I think that that in itself is like high risk, high reward. Um, I do think that like uh, I, it depends on the coach as well. You're with like uh, with Mike T. Like I think Mike T. When doing my coaching, it's he's very good at understanding the trends. Um, and I think that like, that's the one thing that I'm probably not great at is like, I'm like, oh, well, you know, got to keep hammering through this brick wall until it breaks, uh, because that's what I think I should be doing. Um, but yeah, I, I see it. Self-coaching is difficult. And I suppose I reckon it's probably 10 times harder when it's something like sports psych, uh, because it's, it's not as quantifiable, like we've said, you know, like at least in powerlifting coaching it's a little bit more data driven um what it can be if you you choose for it to be but i i think like the the realization of what you can do and what you are doing is still different like while i'm progressing with self-coaching maybe i could progress further with an aid whether that's a nutritionist a sports like a coach uh, someone who's just literally gonna listen to you vent like that. <laughs> like I feel like that sort of thing is is also valuable. <laughs> um, so there, there's there's definitely I think and I think in powerlifting in general, we it's gonna become more and more multifaceted um, in the in that respect where we we will have people for but. We'll have the ability to have to call on someone for literally every single aspect that you want it to become. Yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of the future of strength sports, really. I think um, you know if we if we look at yeah, if if you really look at it from an outside perspective, like it's kind of amazing to me that sports psych hasn't existed in strength sports kind of sooner than it has now. Start to become a little bit more prevalent. Like if you really think about it, like it's far more. In independently psychologically demanding than rugby or football or something like that, right? Like, it's literally just you in a completely controlled environment with, you know, a bar and plates that you're... It's going to be, like, one of three bars. It's going to be one of three brand of plates on one of three different types of rack. Like, the amount of control and the things that exist there are so much more than something like a game of football or rugby or whatever or any kind of competitive sport. And it's kind of like, it's always baffled me that it hasn't actually existed because basically most of the time, the biggest thing that is in people's way 
is themselves. Yeah. Well, that's whether or not that's in a training environment or you know maximal attempts. Yeah, that's that's kind of really one of the main aspects that drew me towards working kind of in strength sport is the fact that it is an individual sport and it is so kind of mentally taxing. Like, I definitely, you know, like, if I was going for ease, I definitely wouldn't have gone into strength sports because, you know, if, if I went into golf, you know, every golf athlete has a, uh, has a sports psych. But it's just something that's so taxing on, you know, uh, powerlifting, which, you know, m- most of my clients are or have been um, strong man, which again is so incredibly taxing. And I think it's just, it, like you said, it's just surprising that it's it's coming in so late. Um, but I, you know, I suppose it's all very new. Amelia, we we did a little segment on pet peeves not too long ago do you have any pet peeves as a, as a sports psych are there any things that you you'd be willing to share in terms of pet peeves? this is like a pet peeve across the whole board of professionals in sport and i'm pretty sure Paige knows what i'm gonna say which is i i really have a big pet peeve about people working outside of their professional remit and this isn't just in sports psych this is all across the board. Like, if there is a coach that, you know, is saying... That is saying that they do nutrition, they do psych, they do, you know... I don't know. I can't even I can't even think of anything. Couples counselling. Yeah, couples counselling. Um, <laughs> can fix your car. Like, <laughs> honestly, you know, it's very, very unlikely that they're going to be excellent at all of those let alone good at one of them um and (laughs) i think you know it's it really winds me up because you know i i do understand that these new areas are emerging in powerlifting like we've spoken about but you know like leave the space for the people who are professionals to kind of be like hey i'm here like I, I'm, I'm now available. This is a new thing, rather than being like, "Hey, I can give you all of these services at a better price than anyone else." And it's just really those people that will do anything to get clients, no matter how, you know, how unethical it is. That really winds me up, really a lot. I, I, there's a really good like example of of this that happened in in my lifting life, I guess, which was, um, I used to, I used to go and see a chiropractor probably in 2017 ish, 2018. And, um, they were great. They were great at what they did. Um, but I remember there were, there were two instances where they really crossed like a professional boundary. The first one was they tried to like, tell me how I should be squatting. Um, and this like, this, this guy kind of trained a little bit, but he was a little bit older. I didn't really have a clue. Like, he demoed, like, a bodyweight squat, and he squatted probably, like, I don't know. It would be generous to say he did a half squat kind of thing, and he was kind of telling me, like, how, how he thinks I should squat, which, you know, I kind of get where he's maybe coming from, from, like, a mechanical perspective or whatever or different things that I maybe need to pay attention to. But I was a bit like, you know, you're like, you know, uh, uh, 
a guy who clearly has never really lifted many weights and clearly doesn't really do much of this stuff. Plus, you know, as a chiropractor telling me how to squat for maximal load doesn't really make a ton of sense to me as a as a powerlifting coach right at the time. Um, I was a bit like, you know, I'm sure my coach would tell me if there was this glaring issue. And then number two, he, um, again, maybe this was like, you know, part of his practice, but with one of the kind of relatively frequent things that I went to see him about, he, uh, he told me that I should start like addressing, um, like relationships with like, like, like my parents. And I was like, bro, like, A, we haven't done any like counseling type stuff. Like you have no idea about any of my family history, but also B, like, bro, you're, you're, like you're a chiropractor, like you're not a counselor, you know? Um, and the same thing kind of happens sometimes in, in powerlifting coaching, just to like a less, lesser degree. It's kind of like, I, th- I feel like there is this duty of care that coaches should have where it's like, hey, like, this is right on the bounds of my, like, expertise. Here's, like, some things that I could suggest. But if this goes any further, like, you probably need to go and see X, Y, and Z relevant professional, right? Because it ultimately, the difficult thing about sports psych is, like, as as powerlifters and as powerlifting coaches, like, as a powerlifting coach, you can put your lifter in a in a position to experience some slightly more specific stresses and strains of competitions right like coaching like or having singles relatively more frequently in programming is becoming more and more of a a frequent thing so that lifters can learn how to handle that experience but if there's like these like major issues that lifters are having sometimes that's kind of outside of the practice of just programming and sets and reps and making sure that lifters are you know experiencing those things right like there can sometimes be these I don't want to necessarily say chronic because that seems a bit too strong, but these kind of like bigger issues that might be worth addressing with a professional such as yourself. Yeah, and there are some weird crossovers that are kind of confusing, I suppose, for athletes. So when, if somebody comes to me and they start speaking to me about eating disorders, it's like, that's technically, yes, that is partially psychology. That's not, firstly, my speciality or kind of, root um i suppose um and you know they could go to a nutritionist but also that nutritionist has to be specialized in eating disorders so i think it kind of comes across a weird boundary sometimes where it could be one or the other and it could be either as long as that's you know the right area for them so you know i suppose it's like you said it's the duty of care of being able to say like actually you know, I'm not a good fit for you. Um, and I think that's really important. Because, like, hey, I'd, I'd love a bunch more clients, I'm sure. But I'm not going to, you know, falsely advertise and give them bad or unknowledgeable advice. Like, I have knowledge on eating disorders. I have knowledge around all of these things. But am I a professional in it? No. Like, Owen's got a good grip on his um, sports psych but like he's not sports like like you know it's it's knowing the difference between having knowledge in something and being a professional i suppose a lot of the time and that winds me up I think, when people i think what Pete said don't. is is bang on like is if someone as like if someone comes to me with a co- as a coach like with something that's out of my remit is like i can give you these things which is like skim in the surface if you don't think any of these are beneficial, that's where my role ends. 
you know, like I can give you a couple of small things and like in nutrition, I can give you a hell of a lot more than I can in sports. Like a hell of a lot more than I can if you've like, you know, ruptured your ACL. Like, you know, there's, there, there's part of what I can do and there's part other things that I can't do. Um, it's not, I think there's, I think people, especially in the powerlifting world where it's like you're creating your own business. It's not like you're employed by a club or you're employed by you. I feel like people probably have feel the pressure to, ah, oh, yeah, I can help with that and not actually just go, you know what? I can't, that's not my bag. It's almost like as a coach, they think they're failing by, by saying that, which is actually the complete opposite to what you're doing. Cause you're actually giving them to someone who can help them rather than stabbing in the dark. I agree with you. Rather than asking, yeah, rather than asking them how their relationship exactly. is with their parents. Just, you want to get rid of your parents, <laughs> that's, and then you'll squat better. <laughs> Step one. Pete, Pete, what did you tell him? Dude, I, 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 literally, uh, I literally went in. Back then I had like this kind of, it wasn't even like that deep, really wasn't. I hate, hate saying, using that phrase. But basically, every kind of like now and then, I would get this kind of like right AC kind of like front of my collarbone kind of pain. Like kind of, you know, like where like your your humerus would end. So like your upper arm bone ends and kind of goes into your shoulder. Kind of around there would just like be really, really shitty. Kind of felt like kind of bony. I, don't, I, I can't really explain it. But anyway... Um, I'd go there and get a couple of adjustments here and there and he'd kind of say, hey, do this. And like, it would typically work. Um, and it was just kind of like a bit of a recurring issue. And then he was kind of like, out of nowhere at the end of one of these sessions was like, I think you should do this. And I was like, bro, what the fuck? Like, where's that Your shoulder from? hurts because you know? of your parents. Yeah, because, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So like, you know, there is this kind of like... Um, uh psychosomatic model of pain but like i feel like he kind of took this you know I, I think it would have been fine if he was like hey like just be really really careful like managing stress do what you can to kind of you know keep life stresses to a minimum i wouldn't have really been bothered by that because that's like kind of fair right it's the same thing that probably a powerlifting coach would say to their client if you know they were really struggling to recover or you know they kept picking up loads and loads of injuries or they weren't sleeping or whatever but um, to kind of jump in so uh, so deep and so direct, it felt a bit like, well, it just felt a bit bizarre, really. Uh, strangely enough, that was the last session I ever had with that chiropractor. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that is strange. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was that. So I'm, I'm not really sure where he got that from or kind of like why, you know, it's quite, it's quite a leap. Even if he had said something a little bit more um, wishy-washy, like hippie, like, you know, I think you should address your like some important relationships in your life. I think that it's would have been so a specific. Bit more, like, <laughs> it was so specific, and I was like, "Mate, like, what? Where's this coming from?" But yeah, there you go. He's doing um, horoscopes on your final. I, you know, I have heard fantastic stories about chiropractors, and I've also heard very, very strange stories. So, you know, who, who knows? I feel like it's a little bit less regulated than some of the other. I went to kind of involving I went to a chiropractor when I was like seven. I don't know why. I think my grandma was the receptionist there or something. I don't know. <laughs> and for some reason, what was his name? That's not important. He had a name. And 
You don't, you don't, you don't need to name and shame. Oh, no, like, he's, like, <laughs> okay. he's probably retired. Like, he's not floating around. Um, and my grandma was the receptionist there. And I, for some reason, I had an appointment. I don't know if I was just hanging about. And he was like, hey, come have an appointment. Which, you know, it's weird anyway. I, you want to get adjusted? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me adjust your bones. <laughs> like, no, I was like, I, I went in, um, and I, I, I laid on the chiropractor bed thingy, and he basically, like, you know, like they, they do the, no, you know, the, the uh, I'm doing hand mm-hmm. things, and this is a podcast, but they adjust your back and bones and stuff. And um, you can tell this isn't my remit. <laughs> and. And he essentially just like full on body weight, like the you know wrestler's shoulder onto like my spine, and like from my like head to my coccyx, just like cracked. I felt like, it wasn't nice, and it, I, I was hor- I was like a seven year old girl. I was horrified that my body made that noise, and I like turned into a puddle of slime and like went back into the reception <laughs> and I was just horrified by that experience and will never ever probably go to a chiropractor again because of that so that's that's my chiropractor story for you if anyone else has one <laughs> Owen Samuel any any chiropractor any I, interesting I, chiropractor I do actually I do actually you? have one the old chiropractor in the gym I used to work in um the two things he was really into he was into like uh he's all about like movement patterns and like he, he apparently he used to be like a chiropractor in like somewhere in like harlow in london or something so, or, or somewhere like and then he, anyway he came down he had this special technique of chiropractor and what he would do is you put you up against the wall and this, this, by the way, this would be the whole session, every session, and this is all he would do. So people would book like <laughs> 10 sessions with him and he'd put you up against the wall, you're flat against the wall, and he'd put his hand like just where your rib cage is and then tell you to breathe in and then as you breathe out, just karate chop you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he'd be like, karate chop, and then feel your sternum, be like, no, no, that wasn't it. Big breath in. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like session after session of uh, that's apparently what you needed um never got any better like, so wait, he, he hits you he hits you in the front yeah he hit you in the sternum and that's all okay. he'd do he just literally puts and then at the end of it you'd have to go into the gym and do like i don't know what you'd call it it's sort of like a bear crawl. doing like when a mime like a does an invisible body. so it's like a so imagine like a bear crawl, but you're not on the floor. You're just stood up and you're like, you're trying to climb an invisible ladder. So you have to, you'd have to do it like you're on a computer game. With flat palms. Like, with oh. flat palms. And that, they're the two it's things. Like, it's really important you have to do that post being karate chopped. Otherwise, did he it say? Did he say karate chop or like ha or something like that? <laughs> it was just so weird. But like... He he moved to the area and he was like he was like oh yeah you know I used to be like quite a uh, quite a big uh, chiropractor in London I'm like either this guy is ridiculously qualified or not qualified at all there's there's some he's <laughs> no on either between. end of this there's no <laughs> in between but I got no benefit from it 
but um, <laughs> but then again, they're awesome. I have had some good. Really? I've had some good experience with chiropractors too. So, so we'll just say that caveat. Mm. But like, I do agree with Peach that maybe a little bit. It seems a little bit less. Whether it's less regulated or there's more areas that people think are effective in that field, it's just it's like I feel like a physio. You go to one physio and they'll probably say something very similar to another physio. Where I feel like chiropractors, you go to three different ones and they'll tell you three different things. Well, I just find what I just find strange is like they always stick the answers cracking your bones, like. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you it's know, a hammer nail situation. Yeah, right? it's like yeah. oh, like I've got like a, a bruised kind of feeling in my calf, and they're like, "We'll crack your spine." <laughs> it's like that doesn't seem like an appropriate response. <laughs> my um, you know how like um, you can tell from the kind of uh, adverts you get and like videos suggested that Google knows like certain facts about you, <laughs> so. Google basically knows that my partner has a bad back, right? And she's always getting sent these chiropractor videos where it's like this athlete comes in and just gets fucking ruined or like a member of the public comes in. And it's, it's the, the titles are always like, Granny gets obliterated by massive adjustment. And it's like, like they're so aggressive. And sometimes she sends me them. Uh, like, I remember this one where it was like this old woman who had scoliosis. And the guy, like you described immediately, he's doing like 12 to 6 elbows. He's just like rolling. Like, he absolutely fucks her up. And then afterwards, she just like completely lost the capacity for speech. She's there just like, what? Yeah, he's got a really bad back. He's cracked her around a bunch. And I was like, well, this looks kind of amazing, right? Like, does it fix, like, scoliosis? And she was like, no. (laughs) Obviously. You need surgery for that. All it does is just, like, crack you around a bit. And and, and that's that. So I guess I will skip this treatment. (laughs) It just makes me nervous. Like, a whole bunch of me that I didn't think clicked. Like, clicking. That Mm. makes me uncomfortable. I don't... Plus, like, I, I grew up watching James Bond movies, right? So, like, if someone, like, puts their, like, hand on, like, your chin and then the other hand on the back of your neck and, like, quickly... I'm about to die. Head, it's, it's game over, you know? I, I, don't, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, great tangent, guys. Um, why don't we sign off? So, Amelia, why don't you tell us uh, where people who have listened to this can find you? And your services, etc. Um, you can find me on Instagram at potthinks. Saying that slowly because a lot of people think it's pot stinks. It's not. <laughs> 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 um, or you can also find me on the Strength Athlete website um, as well. So either way through that, you can find my email either way as well. Oh, and where can I find you, man? Just find me at ohub or at a7.uk or at a7, just a7 Europe, a7 UK. Just type in a7, you'll find me. <laughs> all, the, all the emails come to me, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked, where can uh, they find you, find Peach? Where can they find you, Peach? <laughs> uh, you can find me at Peach Squats, at the Sally Barbell, or you can find the podcast at x 18 uh, on Instagram let us know what's up let us know who you want to hear have on in the future actually Amelia you were requested a whole bunch of you times you just declined it a whole bunch it of times until, <coughs> it, it wasn't until Samuel said hey we're having Amelia on that I was like okay 
I knew, um, I knew about your vendetta, you know? <laughs> yeah, she, she just hated me. Wouldn't let it through. It's funny that you didn't yeah. even forward those to me. Like, you weren't even trying. <laughs>